0: Welcome, I'm glad you're here. Whether you've been with us from the very beginning, or maybe this is your first time here, welcome to the family. And during these unprecedented times, Foundation, FCM, you guys are drawing closer in fresh new ways.
1: That's right. We are so excited to just see all of our families growing and thriving. From our children connecting midweek and on Sundays with their online teaching opportunities, to our student ministry that is having midweek huddles. They're also having their midweek message by Pastor Raquel and having opportunities to connect online through social media. It's wonderful to see all of our students and kids connecting to one another and more importantly, connecting to Christ and adults. We are so excited. The mission here at FCM is to be Christ like disciple makers. And during this season, we're excited to let you know that our discipleship groups are not only continuing to meet thanks to online resources, but they're growing and thriving. And so we're really excited to see how all of our families are able to connect. Now, if you haven't taken time to download our MyFCM app, we want to invite you to do so today. Through our app, you're able to find ways that not only you can connect, but your entire family can connect. And through our app, you're also able to watch all of Pastor Chris's old teaching series and more importantly, his current teaching series.
0: Thanks, Melissa. Foundation, FCM, the church is more than a campus or a building. The church is you and I being the very hands and feet of Christ. And I am so proud of you, church. We are being the presence of Christ right in our neighborhoods. We're looking for ways to help one another, to reach out to our neighbor, and to show the love of Christ. Keep up the good work.
1: We love you, FCM.
2: Thank you for worshiping with us. Let's put our hands together.
3: thing that you can do I just want you and I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions I'm sorry when I just say another song take me back. I open up my heart to you and I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda I'm sorry presence. And I just want to see it here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want you don't want me anything more than anything that you can do. And I just want you. Come on, tell me right now. And I just To who and I just. Back again, caught up in your presence, and I just want to see it here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment, I never want to leave i tell him right now. I'm not here for blessings. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. And Jesus, you don't owe me anything, and more than anything that you can do, and I just want. I want you wherever you're at right now, just to kneel before your Father. Before we move into the teaching, I want this to be our heart's prayer. For us to just sit in God's presence and trust in Him. No matter what's happening in this world and in our lives, just to slow down and believe God for who He says He is. Let's sing this together. And I'm caught up in your presence And I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave Come on, tell Him with confidence Then I'm not here for blessings. And Jesus, you don't owe me anything. And more than anything that you can do. And I just want you.
0: Hi, thank you for watching. I'm so glad you tuned in to part four of Signs of the Times. Now last week, if you didn't get a chance to watch, is one of our most talked about messages so far. We covered the return of Jesus Christ, the bridegroom coming for his bride, and the rapture. Now the Bible talks about this in many different ways, and we tried to cover a few last week. If you didn't get a chance to check it out, Please take the time. Also, thank you for downloading, subscribing, sharing, and watching, and most of all, for being a part of our online community. Now, part four, we're going to go into uh, more of this idea of Jesus Christ coming back for His church. Now, I want to remind you where we've been and how this whole thing started. It started in Matthew 24, where His disciples come to Him. His disciples, the disciples of Jesus, come to Jesus and they ask Him, "Lord." When will this happen, and what will be the signs of your second coming? So Jesus begins to teach them, begins to unfold some truth for them. But something that that caught our attention was right there where he references the prophet Daniel. Verse 15, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Do you hear that? Jesus is referencing Daniel as a direct answer to his disciples' question, but he specifically says, I want you to understand. Not only do I want the reader to understand, I expect you to understand the season in which I am describing. So he doesn't want to keep his second coming a total mystery to us. Now, if you're tempted to say, but pastor, doesn't the Bible say no one knows the day or the hour? Now, we talked about that last week and what Jesus was meant by that, and how it relates to the wedding language of a Galilean wedding. But for this case, we need to understand we're fully expected to recognize the season of his return. Now, he references Daniel, and he's referencing a very specific passage in Daniel. It's a prophecy of four verses in chapter 9, verses 24, 25, 26, and 27. And that's known as the prophecy of the 70 weeks. Now, we covered it in detail last week. If you haven't listened, please take the time to go listen to that message. The 70-week prophecy is a, is a marvelous prophecy, but it, it's broken down into two basic sections. 69 weeks or 69 seven-year seven year periods. 69 seven-year periods. And then a final seven-year period of the, what, what they call the 70th week. But I, if you noticed, I skipped a certain space here. That's the space in which we currently live. That 69th week came to a close when Jesus was revealed. I mean, Daniel's prophecy nails Jesus' first coming, I mean, to the day. We sowed that last week, that, that it was that, that Palm Sunday where Jesus goes into Jerusalem and is hailed King of the Jews. And less than a week later, on Good Friday, he would be put to death, which is exactly what, what Daniel predicted. Now, you might be, be saying to yourself, Chris, 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 I get it. But, but the disciples, and what I want to know is the same thing the disciples want to know, is when is his second coming? Hey, Jesus understands But he's pointing you to the same prophecy, because not only does that prophecy nail his first coming, it nails his second coming. And this is what we need to understand. That interval, that grace gap is known as the time of the Gentiles, and it began, this 2,000 plus year period in which we now live, it began. When Jesus was crucified, he, he, he resurrected, the Holy Spirit comes down, and the church begins to be born out of grace. And that's where we're currently at. Now, now stay with me on this. The Bible talks about this: that his own people would not, would not recognize his coming. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this in Luke. Chapter 19, this is when he's going into Jerusalem, fulfilling Daniel chapter 9 as his first coming. And he says, but, but now it is hidden from your eyes. What is hidden from your eyes? The mystery and the truth that he came to bring peace, peace to the world. But they weren't at peace with him because they didn't recognize him as Messiah. Now watch what he says in verse 44. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Paul sheds some more light on this. He says, Israel has experienced a hardening. A hardening of what? A hardening of their heart. In part, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. So there's, there's this time of the Gentiles where God is being patient, wanting folks to be saved. Now, watch what Jesus says in Luke 21, he says, until the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled. So again, his first coming, the time of the Gentiles, and then that 70th week. That 70th week marks his second coming. Now this is what I want you to know. Before that 70th week starts, in which he details there in verses 27, the end of 26 and 27. That 70th week will start only after Christ returns for his bride, the church. The church age will come to a close with the rapture. The 70th week will begin and we, the church, will be in heaven with our King of Glory celebrating for one week the marriage feast of the Lamb to our, bride, to our groom. And we are his bride. He will return in His second coming at the end of that 70th week. That 70th week is very important. That is the seven years of tribulation that will take, here, take place here on the earth. Daniel highlights that there will be a certain individual introduced. That individual is known as the Antichrist. That he will do something specific in the temple. He will, he will be... Uh, He will enter into a covenant with many. He will break that covenant in the temple wanting to be worshipped, demanding to be worshipped, and instituting all sorts of things. God begins to punish the world and draw Israel back to Him. And that's what Jesus was talking about. But He gives us uh, also another awesome, awesome clue. Now, I need you... To stay with me on this, because there are three main reasons the 70th week that I believe, there are three main reasons that I believe the 70th week is on the horizon, and the rapture could take place at any moment, any moment. And the first reason, now there are many, but these are the main reasons that I believe the 70th week is on the horizon. Number one, prophecy is pointing back to Israel. Two, the spirit of deception and delusion. Now, Paul talks about this in his letters to the Thessalonian church. And number three, signs that point toward the mark. Yes, that mark that is referenced in Revelations chapter 13. We'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. But right now, I want to give you one more clue from Jesus in Matthew 24. And it's in verse 33. 32. This is Jesus saying you need to look and consider the lessons from the fig tree. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near. What is near? He's talking about his second coming. He's given us another clue. I need you to look at the fig tree. Now, who's the fig tree? Traditionally, in Scripture, the fig tree has always been used to reference Israel. So Jesus is saying, look to Israel. Just like Daniel said, there's 70 weeks for your holy people, for excuse me, for your people, for your holy city. And so Jesus is saying, yes, you need to look toward Israel. Israel. Now, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So Jesus just said, I need you to look towards Israel. When you see Israel beginning to bloom, bud like a fig tree, you know that's the generation that will experience all of these things happening. Now, before you hit me with that, that verse that says, but doesn't the Bible say that like a, a day is like a thousand and a thousand or like a day to the Lord? You know, God's timetable is not our timetable. Absolutely. We actually read that verse in the exact passage we were in last week in Peter. When Peter was saying, yes, God is patient because he wants people to be saved. And so this time of the Gentiles is however long God determines. But it will come to a close, and God's attention will turn back toward Israel. And he asks us to look to the fig tree. Now, you might be tempted to say, but how long is a generation? Can I share with you one more verse? And it's found in the book of Psalms. Psalms 90, verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years, or 80, if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, and then we fly away. Listen to, what, listen to that clue that was given to us by the psalmist. He's describing what a generation is. A generation is 70 to 80 years. And why doesn't he say, and then we die? He says, and then we fly away. The bride is flown to the groom's house. We will fly to meet Jesus in the air to celebrate in his father's house. This is a direct reference, I believe, to the rapture. And so, so, but before you dismiss me, I, I want you to consider... Is history focusing back on Israel? Is prophecy focusing back on Israel? Is Jesus telling us, look at Israel, consider what's happening there, and then consider one more clue before we go into the prophecies dealing with Israel. I'm going to cover five of my favorite prophecies, and then I'll give you a few more for good measure. But before we go there, consider the writings in the Revelation. The first three chapters of Revelation deal with the church. Jesus is is prophesying and addressing seven churches. Now, these churches are named by name. But I've often wondered, why aren't there ten churches? Why aren't there six churches? Why aren't there more churches, less churches? Why seven? He could have included Antioch, Jerusalem, Corinth, but he didn't. He chose these seven churches. And it's because seven is the perfect number of completion. He's saying, I'm speaking to the church age, to the churches of the church age, and that church age will come to a close. So at the end of chapter 3, we go into chapter 4, and what do we see in chapter 4? John is raptured into heaven. The church age comes to a close. John is raptured into heaven. John represents the church. When Jesus sealed his covenant of betrothal, he sealed it with the disciples. Now, every disciple has been martyred for the cause of Christ. John is the last one surviving, and Jesus has him experience rapture. It's a clue to us, the church. When the seven churches have been addressed, and that completes the church age, the church will be raptured In Ephesians, the Bible tells us that the foundation of the church is built on the apostles, prophets, and on Jesus Christ. And here John represents the church as he's raptured into heaven. And one more clue from the book of Revelations. This is the last time in Revelations that the word church is used. After that, God's attention in that 70th week, when he's detailing the seven years of tribulation and the great tribulation, He's addressing Israel, his holy people, the tribes of Israel, and the elders of Israel. In our remaining time, I want to cover 12 prophecies that point to Israel. This is significant because just like Daniel tells us, there's a church age. It will come to an end and the 70th week begins. That 70th week is the time of tribulation where it's all about Israel. Matthew also tells us, look to the fig tree. That's Israel. When you begin to see it bloom, you know that generation will experience the end. Let's see what the prophecies are telling us. Ezekiel tells us that Israel would be brought back to life. In fact, it happened in 1948. Now, the prophet receives a vision of dead, scattered, dried-up bones. In the vision, God tells Ezekiel that the dead bones or the dried bones is Israel and would be brought back to life. And just as Ezekiel prophesied, about 2,600 years before, the Jewish people did come back to life, a nation did come back to life, and that's just three years after one of the most horrific events ever recorded by history, and that was the Holocaust. where where the Nazis put to death some two-thirds of the Jewish people on the face of the earth. And Yad Vashem, the World Holocaust Remembrance Center, reminds us that Ezekiel's prophecy stands correct. Ezekiel 37 also prophesies that Israel would be reestablished as a united nation. This, in fact, happened. Now, Ezekiel, when he first prophesied this, he couldn't have foreseen that this could ever be the case because Israel had long been split up into two nations. But when they established sovereignty again, they established it as one nation. And the Word of God says never to be divided again. Now, one of my most favorite prophecies is found in Isaiah 66, where Isaiah spoke of Israel being reborn in one day. Consider this with me, how remarkable it is, especially since the prophet foreshadows the rebirth of Israel in 1948. Isaiah describes a a woman giving birth before she goes into labor. Now, how significant is that? Typically, you have your labor pains, then the birth. But Isaiah wants you to know this is going to be remarkable, like nothing ever seen. He also says that a country would be born in one day. This is accurate, exactly what happened on May 14th of 1948, when Israel declared its independence and and declared to be a sovereign nation, some 2,900 years had passed since that had happened. Immediately, hearing the declaration of Israel, the United States backed them up and recognized their sovereignty. And only a few hours before, a United Nations mandate had expired, freeing them from British control. This all took place in a 24-hour period. Now, this leads me to Amos' prophecy. Amos says that Jacob's descendants would regain control of Israel and would never be uprooted again. This, in fact, took place also coupled with Isaiah's prophecy that the birth would take place and then the labor pains. Literally, a day after they had become a nation, they were declared war on. This is amazing that they were declared war on and they had to fight in 1948, the the year they became a nation, and into the next year, but yet they were not uprooted. Jeremiah tells us that the second Israel would be more impressive than the first. This is also true. In fact, I want to highlight something very interesting. Nobel Prizes have been awarded to over 900 individuals, of whom at least 20% have been Jews, Jewish people. Although the Jewish Jewish population comprises of less than 0.2% of the world's population. I think Jeremiah was right. Ezekiel chapter 4 goes on to predict when Israel would be reestablished. Now, this is very, very interesting because the prophet said the Jewish people would lose control of their homeland and would experience a correction from God for 430 years. That correction would be at the hands of the Babylonians who conquered them and exiled most of their people to Babylon. But this is significant because 67 years after Babylon had defeated Judah, Cyrus the Great defeated Babylon. And three years after Cyrus the Great had conquered Babylon, he conquered them in, in 539. So in 536 BC, he allowed the Jewish people to return back to the holy city. Now this is important because most of the people refused to go back. They desire to stay in Babylon. Now, you know from prophecy that Babylon represents a worldly attitude and a worldly uh, uh, city. And for them refusing, they were refusing to repent. Now, something very, very important. I don't want you to miss this. In Leviticus chapter 26, the Bible tells us that if you refuse God's Correction, meaning you do not repent, and them staying in Babylon meant they did not repent. They wanted to continue following after the world. If you do not repent, your punishment will be multiplied by seven. So I want to show you the little chart that I have here, and it's very simple. The original correction period was 430, minus the 70 years they had already been in Babylon, but that leaves you with 360. You have to multiply that times seven because they refused to repent. Now that that 2520 years needs to be converted from a lunar calendar to a modern solar calendar, and you see the calculation there. So this leaves you with exactly 2,483.8 years that they had to experience correction. You take that from the day they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem, which was 536. We know this is a matter of historical record. And that puts you exactly in the spring of 1948 when Israel was allowed to come back and become a nation, a sovereign nation. Isn't that amazing? That is like, wow, God's Word is so specific It's like no other book on the face of the earth. Ezekiel goes on to say that the people of Israel would return to their homeland. In Ezekiel 34, that happened. Jeremiah 31 says that God would watch over the people of Israel. That has been happening. Leviticus 26 goes on to say that Israel's army would would be disproportionately powerful. What do we mean by that? Well, the Bible specifically says that five would overpower a hundred and that a hundred would overpower 10,000. You see example and example and example after example. But in 1948, Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and Lebanon invaded Israel. Their combined population was well over 20 million. At the time, Israel's population was well under 1 million. And yet, not only did Israel withstand, but they defeated the attack and they were able to expand the size of Israel by 50%. That's what you call God's favor. I want to share with you a couple of more. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, the prophecy says that the fortunes of the people of Israel would be restored. Israel, in fact, has been restored. Ezekiel chapter 36 declares that the wasteland that was once Israel, not only the land, but its people would be transformed into a garden of Eden. And I've included some pictures. I went and I witnessed how beautiful and fertile it is. It is indeed a garden Crop after crop, orchard after orchard, vineyard after vineyard, and as my guide Moshe Brunstein proudly declared, we produce more than any other nation in the Middle East and we export more food to the nation surrounding us than any other nation. They're proud of that because it is a declaration that God's word stands true. Now in Zephaniah chapter 3, the Bible declares that the Hebrew language would be restored. Did this happen? Never in the history of the world has a dead language come back to life. Why don't the Latin people speak Latin? I'll tell you because Latin is dead. Why haven't you heard people speaking Phoenician? Because Phoenician is dead. And yet Hebrew had been dead for hundreds of years, but today over six million people in Israel speak the language of Hebrew as the prophet declared it would be. Why am I saying this? Why do I get excited about this? Because I want you to know the fig tree is blooming. The hour draws near. Something else, the prophet said in Psalms 70 to 80 years. Can I tell you? 70 years from 1948 puts us at 2018. Do you want to know what significantly happened in 2018? I'll tell you. Our president, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, officially moved our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, marking 70 years exactly and being the first nation since Israel was declared a nation, we were the first nation to openly recognize Jerusalem as their capital. That's amazing. The Bible tells us in the book of Daniel that God raises up leaders. No one saw Uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, having an opportunity of winning. No one did. But the Bible says God raises up leaders. And I believe it's for such a time as this. This is a beautiful thing that we see over and over and over. Now I want to share with you a couple more reasons why I believe the hour is drawing near. In the book of Revelations, the first three chapters deal with the church. Jesus Christ is addressing seven churches. Now, why not nine? Why didn't he include some churches that we know of and that were very prominent at the time? He didn't address the church of Jerusalem. He didn't address the church at Corinth or the church at Antioch. Why seven? Well, seven is that perfect number of completion. What have we been talking about? When the church age comes to completion, there will be a rapture beginning the seven years where God deals with Israel and draws his people back to him. That's what we've been saying. Do we see this? Do we see clues of this in the book of Revelation? Absolutely. The first three chapters, Jesus Christ is addressing the church himself. Seven churches, completion. When that's complete, we see chapter 4 starting with John the beloved disciple who is the only one of the 12 left he is raptured into heaven this is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen when the church age is complete prior to the 7 years of tribulation which begin after chapter 4 you will have a rapture but does john really represent the church absolutely when jesus sealed his betrothal ceremony he sealed it with a cup of joy with his disciples john is the only one left on the earth and he is representing the church as he's raptured in the heaven and god begins to show him more of the revelation incidentally something that's very very important the word church is used in those first 3 chapters after after that third chapter No longer is the word church used in the book of Revelations. Why? Because the 70th week begins and God's attention points back to Israel. Where are we at the time? Well, we are in heaven experiencing a wedding feast. Founded three years after the Holocaust, three years after 70% of the Jews were destroyed in what is exponentially the largest slaughter of any people in human history, the remnant trickle back against the will of the British, okay, with no support from the world, into a desert piece of real estate with no natural resources, no infrastructure, surrounded by millions of hostile Arabs in a constant state of warfare, terrorism, economic blockade. And think about it, within a few years, the desert is exporting fruits and vegetables to the rest of the world that Israel is the only country in the world that has more trees at the end of the 20th century, than the beginning. In terms of high-tech per capita, the most in the world is in Israel, done in less than 40 years, with no natural resources, constant war, terrorism, economic blockade. It's unbelievable, but people just don't see it because we've gotten used to it. It's Jewish history. It's all supernatural. Say, Pastor, but why why is it so hard for, for the Jewish people to understand? Isn't it interesting how we always worry about somebody else? Let me put it to you this way. I have found that the closer I am to something, the more I tend to take it for granted. In fact, I think that's human nature. So instead of saying, how could they have missed it? Why don't we say, how could we miss it? We're brought up with this imagery of the church and the bridegroom, we hear the gospel message and the gospel message is preached throughout Western culture and yet so many people are turning their backs or say it's not for them and they don't hear it. Why? So many people harden their hearts and don't see that, that the prophecies are pointing to the return of Jesus Christ. I believe it's because the closer we are to something, and so, so I've been praying, I pray for my children. Lord, give them eyes to see and ears to hear. Let me share with them the gospel message that they may understand that you return soon. Because the last thing I want for my children is for them to be so close to the gospel and hear it day in and day out, but yet they miss the most important thing. This is real, that God is not kidding, that he's coming soon, and that we should be ready. That we should be ready. So, I invite you to listen to the message, the salvation message that's there in your app and make a decision to follow christ you might say pastor i've already done that then get serious about living for him and waiting eagerly his return as you share the good news with others i love you foundation have a great week we'll have more next week
1: we hope you enjoyed today's message if you were blessed we invite you to get from our myfcm app or from our website at myfcm.org. Whether it's a one-time gift or you decide to become a monthly partner, we greatly appreciate your contribution. Thank you for helping us to continue to share the love of Christ.